0: You heard from Jessica? She said she just got through. I'm here. I don't know if you guys can see me. Great. Um, glad you are here. And now that it is six o'clock, we will call the meeting to order. And the first item on our agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. And so we can say the pledge together. I pledge allegiance, allegiance to the flag of the, flag of the United, United States of America. America and,
1: and to, to the, the Republic, Republic, Republic,
0: Republic, for for Republic. Republic for which stands. To- yeah.
2: One nation, under under
0: God, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty, and
3: and justice for all.
0: Okay. And the next item on the agenda is the adoption of the agenda, and I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. And a second? Second. second? Um, I definitely heard Mary's, Dr. Sinclair's voice in that. I'll take that as her second and all those in favor please say aye aye are there any opposed hearing none that passes unanimously and the next item on the agenda is uh, 1.04 the approval of the minutes from the April 27th meeting
4: I'll seek a motion move for approval
0: thank you Mr. Stratton is there a second second Goodburn thank you Mrs. Goodburn um, all those in favor please say aye. Aye. Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. Um, and that'll move us on to 2.1, the superintendent report. And so I'll turn it over to Dr. Paul.
5: Okay, thank you very much. It's great to see everybody this evening. I want to start off by just sharing that our community recently celebrated Teacher Appreciation Week. That was last week. And uh, although, you know, it's not the same doing this virtually versus in person. Uh, we still uh, certainly had a lot of joy over celebrating the great work that our teachers are doing, and we want to thank them for, their, for the wonderful job that they uh, that they do every day with our students. It was great to see all the works of art, the pictures, the social media posts, and expressions of thanks <laughs> our community shared for Shawnee Mission educators. You know, the classroom experience looks a lot different these days. I certainly uh, had an opportunity to experience that myself as I Uh, joined a couple of classrooms, a fourth grade classroom and a second grade classroom on Wednesday. That was wonderful. And boy, I was just so impressed with the great job that our teachers did in engaging our students in meaningful learning. So I really want to thank all of those who stepped out of their comfort zones and found new and creative ways to ensure learning continues. This year, of course, has presented tremendous challenges. But We've shown our greatest strength is how we have persevered to do what's best for our students. I also want to acknowledge two groups of educators in particular tonight. One is our Kansas Teacher of the Year nominees. Each school had the opportunity this year to nominate a teacher for this program. While we could not hold a ceremony for our Kansas Teacher of the Year nominees, we want to acknowledge their outstanding work. And we will include a complete list of nominees in the board recap. We're also deeply grateful for all the retirees and service pin recipients. While we could not honor our retirees in person this year, we do wish them a very happy and healthy future as they begin a new chapter in their lives. We can't begin to calculate the thousands of students whose lives have been changed for the better because of our retirees. And the entire Shawnee Mission community, all of us, want to offer our thanks and appreciation to each of them. Last week was a big week. It was also School Nurses Day. And so I want to take a moment to honor our school nurses. School Nurses Day was May 6th. Shawnee Mission school nurses do so much throughout the school year. And of course, in this uh, this current period, they have gone above and beyond to support our students in these extraordinary circumstances. They have helped answer thousands of calls to the county COVID 19 hotline. They've also helped serve meals and pick up and go sites. And they've continued to help families and help meet health needs while continuous learning has been underway. So thank you, Shawnee Mission Nurses, for all you are doing for our students and our community. In another first, the RD Forum. Forum took on a very different look this year. Uh, this was the 58th annual Research and Development Forum, and it was absolutely a digital success. This annual celebration of science, technology, engineering, arts and math, otherwise known as STEAM learning, was held online. Students across our community shared STEAM projects on Twitter using the hashtag SMSRD. and It was really fantastic to see the creative and innovative work that all of these students share digitally. There were a number of science projects, some ropeboard machines, works of art, and also musical performances that were shared. We want to thank all the students, families, and educators who dedicated their time and participated in this event. We also want to share our thanks, too, for the Rainier family, for their ongoing support of the R&D Forum. And I want to tell you, in a conversation that we had with them, they were completely supportive of maintaining the spirit of the R&D Forum, even if it meant doing so digitally. So thank, uh, thank you, Rainier family, for your support. <clears throat> My apologies. On a similar note, several of our students have received distinguished recognition for their scientific work. And I wanted to highlight a few of them here tonight. Jonas Rowland, a senior biotechnology and Shawnee Mission Northwest High School student, earned a grand award at the Greater Kansas City Science and Engineering Fair. He presented his cancer research and will advance to participate in the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair. We had a number of students honored at this metro-wide competition. We'll make sure and include a link in the recap so we can acknowledge all of them. Four of the five finalists in the statewide biogenius challenge were Shawnee Mission students. Elizabeth Faulkner, Shawnee Mission E. Senior and Biotechnology student, is a 2020 Kansas Biogenius Challenge winner. Her research related to bone cement will advance to the International Biogenius Challenge. Mariana Ward a Shawnee Mission South senior and biotechnology student, was named a finalist in the 17th annual Kansas-Nebraska-Oklahoma Regional Junior Science and Humanities Symposium. She presented research related to black fly microbiomes. While thousands of students enter their research in regional symposiums, only 230 high school students qualify for the national symposium. So congratulations to both of these students. Rising Star Elementary is being recognized by the Environmental Protection Agency as a recipient of the 2019 Food Recovery Challenge Regional Award. As part of the challenge, organizations pledge to improve their sustainability food management practices and report their results. From January to December 2018, Rising Star diverted 27,125 pounds of food from the landfill. This was an increase of 13,250 pounds over the previous year's total. All of our buildings participate in waste mitigation practices. And we want to congratulate Rising Star for how they've demonstrated their outstanding efforts as a school community. Well, this week would have been graduation for the class of 2020. And of course, uh, that had to be rescheduled. I know that members of the board share my deep regret that we will not be watching seniors walk walk across the stage this week. As we've shared, we have made alternative plans for a graduation ceremony to celebrate our seniors many accomplishments. Uh, We do not know guidance will be provided regarding the possibility for large in person gatherings in July. Now we know there's a Kansas framework and some tentative timelines attached. Uh, but we'll watch uh, the development of the data along with the state and county very carefully. And we'll make a final decision on June 15th uh, regarding what our graduation ceremony will look like. It's very important to note that any final decision about gatherings large enough to schedule in person graduations will be made based on guidance from federal, state, and local authorities. In the meantime, we joined all in our community in extending our support and congratulations to our Shawnee Mission seniors for all that they have accomplished. Congratulations to the class of 2020. Well, due to challenges related to school building closures, summer enrichment programs will not be offered this summer for students in grades K through 8. Summer school programs will be offered virtually to all Shawnee Mission School District students who are either entering ninth grade or are currently in high school during the summer of 2020. We've sent information to families, but we'll also include a link in the board recap as an additional reminder and resource for families. Of course, public health information surrounding the pandemic is subject to change on a daily and weekly basis. I want to thank everybody for their patience and understanding and flexibility during this time. I might add that we have also been working diligently on getting a schedule put together for the uh, the summer activities uh, beyond those that are in the classroom, at least the inside classroom. And we will uh, hopefully here in the next uh, few days be able to provide more information on that to parents and to students. Well, our strategic plan is, of course, alive and well, we're we're doing our due diligence on making sure that we're staying focused on our strategic plan. And in tonight's board agenda, you have several things that really uh, exemplify all of them exemplify I'm coming up to the strategic plan, but I want to draw attention just to uh, several of them. First of all, we're going to have a budget workshop tonight. The budget, of course, is critical to ensuring that we meet our mission and our objectives. Uh, Under the discussion item, Russ Knapp, our uh, Chief Financial Officer, will provide a budget workshop on non-operating funds. I wanna encourage the general public to route any questions that they may have about the budget to ask the district. It is important to get accurate rather than secondhand information about the budget. Please send your questions to ask the district And those questions will be routed to the appropriate persons to develop a response. Item uh, 4.03, which is in consent, deals with Zillow, which is a software. Zillow is the district's primary platform for our individual plans of study. I'm going to just share with you some of the information that's in the document provided uh, to you and the public this evening. Uh, Zillow takes middle, middle school and high school students through Interactive career, personality, and learning style assessments to help them better understand their unique interests, skills, and strengths, and it allows them to invest, investigate careers, career and college options that align with their assessment results, and begin to explore those careers. That that ties really nicely into not only objective one, personalized learning plans, but also, of course, objective two, college and career readiness. It also invests them in that process. It's also important to note that Zillow is a component of our compliance with the Kansas State Board of Education mandates that middle and high school students create an individual plan of study. Now, completing our second year with the program, over 9,360 students have completed their learning profile this year as one of the five State Board's mandated outcomes. This is really an area where our outside visiting team for our uh, KiSA accreditation process recommended that we place additional focus. In addition, because it supports personalized learning with a focus on culture career readiness, Zillow aligns, of course, with our strategic plan. I may add, too, that in these processes that uh, you find that uh, a lot of districts struggle to get uh, programs like Zillow off the ground effectively. This involves carving out time to engage students with their personalized learning plans, something that we're still working on. It also involves a mindset shift for, really for everybody, for parents, for for, uh, students, and and also for staff, for all of us, as we begin to uh, engage students more meaningfully in their their learning work. So that's on the agenda. The other, uh, another one on there is Project Lead the Way. Of course, that's a nationally recognized program that helps us really engage kids in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. It's interesting to note that Project Lead the Way uh, touches nearly every student in grades K through six. At the middle level, there are 830 enrollments, and there are 589 enrollments at the high school level. So taken together, the renewal only equates to about $3.50 a student, which is money well spent. We expect that uh, looking forward enrollments at the five comprehensive high schools look to be up about 13 percent for next year in this program. And then finally, I just want to make this note. I know that there has been a lot of interest in what is going to happen next year. It's the national question, really, and it certainly is the SMSD community question. Uh, I want you to assure you that we are in the process of working on developing plans for next year. Now, this will have to be done in coordination with the state and with the county. That's really important. It's also important to note that uh, we will be spending some time reaching out to parents, students and staff as and continue to get their thoughts on how we effectively engage all learners, even as we enter into any one of these four phases during the course of the school year uh, next year. So there'll be more to come in the weeks ahead on what next year looks like. That concludes my report. Thank you for uh, thank you for the time. I know it's rather lengthy.
0: Thanks, Dr. Fulton. Um, And just to clarify, you're referencing four phases. Those are the four phases under Governor Kelly's reopening plan, phase one, phase two, phase three, and then being totally open. And we
5: have to prepare for all four of those. Thank you for that clarification. That is absolutely correct. And and we'll learn about those four phases as we begin to talk about what next year's design might look like.
0: Thank you. Okay, so we're moving on to um, board reports um, for smack PTA. Miss Borgman, do you have an update for us?
6: Nothing new. Thank you.
0: Thank you for the Education Foundation. Miss Hembry, do you have anything for us?
7: Yeah, I am excited to share that the fall breakfast is now actually scheduled and originally been scheduled for September and to give a little bit of extra room for um, social distancing protocols to hopefully come to an end. They have moved the date to November 3rd. So please, everyone hold that date on your calendar, November 3rd, 2020 for the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation's annual fall breakfast. Um, I'm also excited to share that Leadership Shawnee Mission um, has been postponed to the fall semester. This year, there's going to be 30 students from all five high schools who are participating. This is the leadership development program that also connects our students with leaders in their interested uh, industry areas. Um, and lastly, I just want to give a big thanks to everyone who's been contributing to the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation's CARES Fund. Um, this past week, um, on May 5th, was Giving Tuesday Now. Lots of folks were able to contribute. I've seen many PTAs around the area contribute their unused funds from this school year to funding Mission Education Foundation Care Fund. So just really grateful for our community.
2: Ms. Embry, I couldn't, Ms. Embry, I couldn't understand. Did you say November 1st or 3rd? I... November 3rd. Oh, November 3rd, thank you.
7: Yeah.
0: Great, thank you. Um, moving on to the KASB Board of Directors. Reverend Guy, do you have an update for us this evening? Can you hear me?
1: Can you yes. hear me? We can hear you now, yes. I'm, yeah, my computer is not cooperating. Um, KSB is continuing to have their Lunch and Learns on, on Wednesdays for board members, and um, you can sign up for any one of these. They're from 12 to 12.45. I participated in the one two weeks ago, and I think there were, 50 60 board members, maybe participating in that one. We were able to ask questions of their legal team and just get updates on what was going on around the state, all of the things regarding education. The one coming up this Wednesday, they're going to have this a special guest, Bill Faflick, who is the executive director of KSHSAA, Kansas State High School Athletic Association, I believe. And um, You may be familiar that they recently published some guidelines for summer athletic activities. Um, And so he will be available to talk about those and to answer questions people have about the potential of of fall athletic activities and what that might look like. So if you're interested in that, our legal team will also be available again this Wednesday. And again, that's from 12 to 1245. It's Zoom meeting, obviously. So you can sign up at KASB.org if that's something you want to participate in. They are also offering a new workshop called Leadership Through a New Lens, Boardmanship Roundtables Online for New and Nearly New Board Members. Um, They realized that especially the people who came on in January went (laughs) right from getting on the board to entering into this pandemic time. And um, so people who are brand new and nearly new, which I consider myself still nearly new, um, it's it's a whole new landscape right now. So this particular uh, workshop is for people who are navigating this, this new season with the pandemic. And so that will be three evening sessions, Thursday, May 14th, Monday, May 18th, Wednesday, May 20th, and then one morning session Um on Tuesday, May 19th. So, if you're interested, those are all different. You you can choose any one of those. Um, So, anyway, if that's something you're interested in, go to KASB.org and they'll be offering more workshops and online opportunities. But those are two that are coming up that I think would be lots of great information um, for any one of us. And they're keeping an eye on the legislature and what's happening there, but I assume Dr. Sinclair. Might know more about that. So that's all for my report.
0: Thank you. Uh, speaking of Dr. Sinclair, do you have an update for us as the KSB legislative liaison?
8: Well, I don't believe there's any new information coming out of the State House except that um, the plan to convene or reconvene is still set for May 21st for that last day of session, signee die. Um, But the committees are um, scheduled to meet. So those committees um, that are still active at this point in the session will begin meeting tomorrow, um, not in person. Um, But the Tuesday, so it's really focusing on the taxation, appropriations, commerce committees, and I imagine budget will be the kind of primary topic of conversation. So we should know more by the end of the week. Um, But I would imagine there's still going to be a lot of unanswered questions kind of pending federal legislative choices. So a lot of no answers. More questions than answers still at this point.
0: Well, thank you. We'll probably know more soon, though, with Mm -hmm. the meetings getting back together.
8: Correct. Yes. Thank you for that.
0: Um, okay, so in the Policy Review Committee, Ms. Gaburn do you have an update for us on that committee? I do. We met last, the
2: committee met last Thursday, and we will have three policies for your consideration at the May 26th board meeting.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then Finance and Facilities, I'll turn to Mr. Stratton. Do you have an update for us from that committee?
4: I do, thanks. Uh, the Finance and Facilities Committee has now met twice. Uh, we met on April 22nd, and again, on April 28th, uh, two digital meetings. Um, and just a reminder, all of those meetings are viewable both live, but also they're archived as well. So um, you can go to either the district website or the uh, YouTube channel for the district, and you can view those meetings in their entirety. I also saw that the uh, policy committee was available to you last week too. So that's great. All these meetings are up there and being archived for us to view. Um, at our two meetings that we had for the facilities and finance uh, finance committee, uh, first, Russ Knapp uh, spoke at both meetings talking a lot about the various information regarding creation and uh, the process of eventually adopting a budget. And a lot of that will be addressed today in our meeting as well. So, we'll see that, but uh, our committee members uh, got a dry run on quite a bit of that information. And then second, uh, Bob Robinson spoke and talked a little bit about the, the process to develop the priorities towards an eventual uh, facilities update throughout the district, which would include the uh, adoption of a new bond in order to finance that and all the process that goes into that. The charge for the committee, which will be meeting again on May 27th, so that'll be after our next board meeting. So there'll be two uh, regular school board meetings, this one and the next one, where Russ Snap will be presenting the budget workshop information. Our committee will be meeting the day after that Uh, 2 o'clock on the 27th. And at that time, the committee is being charged with providing their insights perspective on on how best the the district can improve how we really engage and uh, communicate with the community on this process and ultimately how a budget is adopted. So they're going to be our eyes and ears for this process watching this process from beginning to end and giving us uh, guidance on how to continue to improve that. We are obviously in a new environment uh, in this process of communicating entirely digitally, but uh, the the ability for us to utilize all these resources and and even better communicate with our community around the finances and the decision making that goes into those. So that'll be our next meeting and that's our charge there. And I'll just reiterate one more time, Dr. Fulton mentioned it. there's there's, there's more of a robust uh, process that people can engage with the district if they have a specific question, and that's through the Ask the District button. So, that's on the district website. It also happens to be the email address for the district. You can find it in multiple places on the district website. And as this information is being presented on the finances, that's a great place for patrons, constituents in the district to ask a question about what's going on in this budget process, because there are multiple sets of eyes that will see that question, And the persons that are best to answer those can get those to them. So that's just one more avenue that we as the board have been working on with our constituent services. And this is a perfect opportunity to put that into place into practice. That's the report from our uh, Finance and Facilities Committee.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And with that, we're moving on to 2.03 approval to suspend the board policy BCPI for this meeting this evening. We have developed a means to allow for public comment at virtual board meetings going into effect for our next meeting on May 26th after instructional support for student learning has concluded. So for this meeting, policy BCBI will remain suspended, um, but community members are welcome to continue to communicate with the board via email and, of course, via Ask the District. Um, We will be communicating specific instructions for public comment at virtual meetings. As an overview, community members who wish to make public comments will be able to participate in the virtual meeting through a computer station set up at the CAA. Staff members will be present to assist individuals in joining the virtual meeting and to ensure that all personal distancing and sanitizing guidelines are followed. Individuals who make public comments will participate in the WebEx meeting via video and audio just as other meeting panelists. Community members who wish to make a public comment at any virtual meeting will need to provide notice to the board clerk Terry wintering no later than noon on the day of the meeting so that staff can prepare for the number of individuals who will be participating. And so with that, um, I will make a motion. To approve the suspension of board policy bcbi for this evening alone, I will seek the motion.
8: Move leave. approval,
0: Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Workman, second. Thank you, Ms. Workman. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye, aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Sorry, my was I was on mute, but I say aye too. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Mm-hmm. Right. Hearing no uh, p- opposition, that passes unanimously. And we're moving on to our discussion items, um, and this evening we have Mr. Resnatt to provide a budget workshop overview of non-operating funds. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Fulton to introduce Mr. Resnatt.
5: Yes, thank you very much. And uh, of course, we're, we're uh, pleased tonight to bring you uh, our budget workshop. The first of two parts, actually, tonight is on non-operating funds, and uh, next time we'll be on operating funds. So. I will turn it over to Russell
9: Knapp, our Chief Financial Officer for presentation. Well, thank you. Uh, Good evening. Um, Like Dr. Fulton said, tonight is the first of two uh, budget workshops. Tonight is non-operating. May 26th will be operating. Um, As he mentioned earlier as well, we have our strategic plan. You can go to the next slide, Drew. it is immensely um, important that our financial resources, our budget that we develop each year and goes through the approval process, supports the, the strategic plan and the three goals that have come out of it, the personalized learning plan, the college and career ready, and the interpersonal goals our skills. I'm sorry. Um, next slide, Drew. And one more. Thank you. Um, before we get into the non operating funds, um, this is a good um, pie chart of how Shawnee Mission has spent their money from 2018 to 2019. So these are actual expenditures that occurred a year ago and it's directly off the Kansas State Department of Education's website. It's part of the budget at a glance, um, all the documents that school districts uh, submit to the state. Uh, follow the same format and you can follow the, you can find this part ch- pie chart, probably for our other school districts out on the Kansas uh, Department of Education website. And the categories are broken down by functional categories. And those are standard chart of accounts that all school districts use in the state and they follow the federal guidelines. Um, so as you can see here, the, the green section, the bigger section, 70% of our expenditures go to the direct support for students and teachers. Um, that includes the teacher salaries um, the student transportation food service is all lumped into this your school principal the school administration the 5% that's at the top of that bar chart is included in this group as direct support for students our next largest category is facilities um, which makes up about 25% and then 4% is spent on general and central administration um, central administration would be your more of your business office, human resource um, over here at the administration building where your general would be your superintendent, associate superintendents, legal board of education expenditures. So this kind of just gives you a good graphic of how we spent our money uh, in 2018, 2019. Next slide. Um, we wanted to put this slide in to just kind of give you a um, so you can see it verbal or in writing the difference between operational budget and non operational budget. Um, so when we talk on May 26th, we'll go into details about operational budget, which really handles the daily expenditures associated with running the school. So you're talking salaries and benefits, student transportation, utilities. Supplies and services and there's other things that are going to that budget. But these are the main main things that just run the day to day operation tonight. We're going to talk about the non operational things that maintain our facilities uh, larger purchases uh, for capital items such as equipment and furnishings renovations on our on our school buildings and also bond funds next slide. Um, so the, the school districts you've seen this chart are yeah you know, you've seen this chart a couple times now in the past two or three years um, the district actually has 36 individual funds um, and that's a lot so we like to group them into these five classifications the first one there on this slide is the operating funds supported funds are operating funds uh, again we'll talk about that on May 26th and those are run in the district then we have capital and bond that we'll talk about tonight, our flow-through funds and self-supported funds. So those are the ones that we'll talk about tonight. We also have federal dollars that we'll talk about uh, May 26. Outside of the operating funds, all of these classifications go for a restricted purpose. They're, they're, the, the authority is given to school districts to set up these funds by state statutes. The revenues to support them are all driven by state statute and how you spend those monies are driven by state statute and they're all meant to be spent for those purposes. And we'll talk a little bit more in depth on how we spend those. Next slide. I wanted to start with the cess valuation. Um, A lot of the funds that we're going to talk about tonight um, are based on our cess valuation in the district. Um, we're estimating close to $4.3 billion in assessed valuations to Shawnee Mission School District. That is the largest in the state of Kansas. Uh, we're very blessed to have that robust assessed valuation. We're estimating it to be a 5.1% um, increase. So the timeline on for budget purposes, this is just our internal estimate. Um, we met with Um, The Johnson County Assessor brings us in the first week of March. So this was prior to the pandemic uh, circumstances that arise. And at that time, we thought we'd be about 5.1%. And then in June, we get an official estimate for Johnson County Assessor's Office. And that's what we use to build our budget on. So when we start working on the budget documents from the state, they usually give it to us the last week of June, we'll use the assessed value uh, the assessed valuation at that time from the, John, the Johnson County assessors. But, um, Allison staroski does this for us and, um, she is, is, is very good at it. So we would anticipate it being $4.3 million. Um, so that when the assessed valuation goes up, obviously that takes the pressure off of your mill levy, your mill levy doesn't have to increase as much because you're getting it from the assessed valuation that is spread throughout the school district. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about what I think is going to happen because of the COVID um, circumstances. So the, the, the timeline that we're in with the cess valuation right now is we're in the uh, protest uh, phase of assess valuation. So all commercial and residential have received their cess valuation. And now they're in, the, uh, they're in the stage where they can protest it. That usually goes through September and October, is finalized by the county, and they send us our finalized assessed valuation usually in November. Um, I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I would not suspect that um, there would be a lot of additional protests at this point. But what I would what I would anticipate is delinquencies. Um, The second half of residential property taxes are due in May. I think they're due maybe today, May 11th, actually. Um, I I would anticipate maybe uh, our delinquencies increasing um, for this year and possibly next year. And then when the assessed valuation comes around again next year, then we might see um, some strain on our assessed valuation. It really just depends on what the economy does as a result of uh, the COVID I'll pause there to see if there's any questions. Okay. Uh, next slide. Um, I'm going to move into the capital outlay fund, which is uh, one of our largest funds that we use to, uh, purchase equipment, renovate our buildings. And as I was saying, um, state statute gives us authority on all our funds on how we, allowed to collect money and spend it and so this is the state statute that tells us how we spend our capital outlay funds Um, i won't read it to you but mainly it's to to renovate and and remodel and equip school buildings Um, about three or four years ago they expanded the use of capital outlay funds to include computer software and performance uniforms and we have we have moved uh Numerous large purchases over to the capital outlay fund that fits this criteria. An example of a performance uniform would be the band uniforms at a high school, or the choir uniforms at, um, at the high school as well. So those are very large, um, 150 thousand to 250 thousand dollar uniform purchases that we are allowed to take out of capital. We'll use them for eight years, so it kind of meets that criteria. Uh, next slide. So our capital outlay funds, um, we generally bring in about $35 to $36 million a year in just tax revenue alone. So that's property tax and motor vehicle tax. The um, state statute says you can do up to eight mils. No, no higher, eight mils is the highest. And we, and Charney Mission is at eight mils and we've always been at eight mils for many years. And that generates the 35 to $36 million uh, a year. We get some miscellaneous revenue. It just really depends on what we have going on that year. Um, we sell some surplus property. And as you approved earlier, um, a couple months ago, the iPad refresh. So those, um, those iPads that we'll be exchanging out will sell, sell on the secondary market. And we anticipate $1,750,000 there. So this is for 2021 is our is the initial budget at this point. So we think we'll have about 37.8 million dollars to work with in 2021 to go along with a beginning fund balance of about 13.7 million. So that would give the school district available budget of 51.4 million dollars if we really need to. Now that's not our intention to spend all that. But that would give us the budget authority to spend that if we ever had any emergencies or unforeseen expenditures um next slide please so this is how we intend to expend our bent our capital outlay expenditures for next year like i said we had 51.4 million dollars available schools and departments they we allocate about 1.8 million dollars to buy furniture and equipment in the school buildings technology department 4.2 million that supplies them their hardware, their equipment, a lot of maintenance costs and subscriptions and software, um, et cetera, operation and maintenance, $13 million, um, approximately $6 million of the 13 million will go to what we call cycle projects. Your cycle projects are your HVACs, uh, repaving a parking lot. Um, Bleachers, uh, lockers, larger ticket items that cost a lot more, and you would only do well, let's just say every uh, you know ten to fifteen years. Um, that would leave about seven million dollars for operation and maintenance just to run the school district on a day to day basis, and um, and then in addition we have four point five million in salary and benefits coded to the capital outlay fund. This is about seventy six. Uh, maintenance positions. Um, this would be your plumbers, your electricians, um, HVAC, um, painters, etc. Um, what is not over there that is allowed is $9.3 million worth of custodians. So all our custodians, except for two of them, uh, that are out at the aquatic center are coded to our operating funds or our general fund. Um, and that again, that's about $9.3 million worth of custodians that are still in the operating funds that we could move over to the capital outlay fund. They would, they would meet the criteria of that guidelines. Um, bond and lease payments, um, we have $17.2 million. So what's made up in that number is the, the Apple lease payments. Um, we have, after the approval in April, we have three leases currently going on and they're usually either three or four years, and they've been giving us 0%, so extremely good. Um, And then in that number as as well, is $10.6 million um, in bond and interest payments. So um, since uh, 2015, we issued $85 million worth of capital outlay general obligation bonds. So these are different bonds than the bond referendum that we're going to talk about here in a minute. So these are separate. They're only for five years. And we'll retire that last bond in fiscal year 21-22. So $10.6 million will be the last payment in that year. And then that debt is retired. So the $85 million bond debt will be fully retired. And so twenty two twenty three 23 the capital outlay fund, would be $10.6 million richer, so to speak. Um, the unallocated projects is just that; it's not allocated. We set it out as budget uh, about five point six. We kind of back we back into that number because we like to leave an ending balance of five million dollars. That helps us with our cash flow. Um, the capital outlay fund is all local taxes. We get we do not get uh, any capital outlay state aid. Uh, We do not qualify, so this is all local taxes. So our taxes, that our revenue we receive for this fund comes in January and in May. And so that balance carries us through um, June through December until we get our next uh, tax payment in January. Okay, so we need a good-sized cash fund balance in June to pay for all the summer projects because the the bulk of all our, our construction work Usually happens in the summer when the kiddos are out of the buildings and we can have access to them. So it's very important. Um, the uh, five million dollars is there for cash flow and to get us through until um, January. So the unallocated projects is, plugs in there at five point six million dollars, and that would give us the authority of forty six point four million dollars to spend. Um, and another reason that's very important is if if an emergency did come up, you already approved that budget in August. We have the authority to spend it. We don't have to go through the the republish um, process, which is a state statute driven process. Um, so a couple things, you know, it gives me my cash flow to get me through to January and B, it gives you uh, your emergency authority to spend if, if it's such arises and we hope that it never does. Okay. Next slide. The
8: I, I'm sorry, yes. I don't know if Heather can see me. Can I ask just a quick clarification? Just so I understand mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. Apple, mm-hmm. the Apple lease is about six and a, a little over six and a half million dollars. And then the other ten and a half or so is the short term bonds on that seventeen million dollar line item. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, thank you.
4: I have a question too, if that's okay. Uh,
8: Yeah, go ahead, Brad.
4: On the previous slide, just to make sure we, because I don't know, I'll remember at the end, uh, we we finish up with this budget allocation here with a $5 million ending balance. I believe the previous year ended with about a $13 million uh, balance. The difference between the 13 and then a projected, you know, budgeted five, is that because we've got some, uh, I'll call them deferred projects that we're now looking at doing into the next year, and that's what's taking down the, the balance at, by year end?
9: Yeah, there's there's two things. There's exactly what you said. So there's projects that you don't get scheduled or you defer, and that would save money out of that $13 million allocation. And then the other one would be unallocated projects. So if we don't have any emergencies or anything that pops up unforeseen, we're not going to spend that five. 6 million. So, if we were fast forward to twenty twenty one, we didn't have any emergencies that would pop up. Uh, the five million would grow to ten point six million.
4: Thank you. And then, when you talk about emergencies, would that be something catastrophic, like a tornado or a big storm, or something like that? This is where we dip into put the roof back on a building, so to speak. That, that's correct. Yes, that's exactly
9: right. All right. Thank you. Um, These are two funds that um, we classify it as our debt fund. So the bond and interest fund is local taxes. So we do a mill levy about 7.434, all local taxes. And that goes to retire the bond uh, referendums that the board, that we have to take out for a vote. So the last one we did, if you recall, is 2015. And prior to that was 2004. Um, so this goes to paying off those this does not pay off the capital outlay that we just talked about the capital outlay taxes have to has to pay off the capital outlay general obligation bonds this is local taxes to pay off just general obligation bonds and so uh, we bring in about 32 million dollars and uh, we we spent out 33 million dollars um, is uh, is what we're anticipating for 2021 um, these are large ending balances uh, on June 30th, and again, is that's because in October, we have to pay our principal payment plus half of an interest payment, okay? So that's rough. That's probably, see, we make $24 million a year. Uh, that's probably $18 million that we expend in October, and this fund balance that you see of $21 million. That's the source to pay for that 8 million in October. Okay. This is just like the capital outlay fund. We get our revenues in January and May and then very little through the rest of the year. Okay. Special assessment is um, really a a county fund. Um, Special assessment handles the Johnson County wastewater and easements on our property. So if we have sewers that are running on District property, and they need to do construction on those um, sewers. They would bill us, and we would pay for it out of the special assessment fund. Okay, next slide. Um, this is just a, a a chart that shows you our our debt service that is currently outstanding. Um, We have debt outstanding all the way out to 2039. Bonds are usually sold for 20-year terms. Uh, Our middle levy is currently 7.434 to retire that debt. Um, And there's three that are still outstanding. Next slide. Um, So this is a bar chart to demonstrate to you our 2015 bond referendum that was passed January of 2015 for $223 million. We have totally spent uh, the first, we did two issuances. We just cut it in half. And when the first one was generated about 123 million, um, that has totally been spent and closed. And then issue two, um, has all been spent or encumbered on a project, so we anticipate um, this fund pretty much being closed out at the end of this summer. Um, again, all projects have been identified for this money, as in, and has been approved by the board and is an encumbrance or purchase order, so to speak. Okay, so we're ready. We're ready, probably to close this issuance out sometime in 2021. And that generated about $127.5 million.
10: Next
9: slide. Um, We have the other group of funds we call flow through funds to the state. There's only two in this fund. One is the cost of living. Um, It really is part of the the weighted formula. I put it over here because it's just that is flow through money um, under state statute, cost of living um, is based on your such valuation versus the average in the state of Kansas. Um, the highest you can be is at 5%. Um, and so we are at about 4.8%. So a DeSoto School District to our west is at 5%. Blue Valley is at 5%. Shawnee Mission is at 4.8%. And so this flows through the weighted formula and really provides us 8.2 million dollars of operating money so this is really operating money however state statute makes you have a separate fund for this and so this is all local taxes um you you do not control this this is all dictated by the school finance formula and it you pump it in and it spits out and says, hey, you get $8.2 million. You do a local mill levy tax, you collect it, you put it into this fund, and you send it back to the state. And then the state in turn gives it to us through the weighted formula. Um, So that's why we just call it flow through. We collect it and then send it to the state. Capers fund is the same thing. Capers, the state sends us our capers payment, and then they turn around and take it right back in the same day. Um, Actually, they take it out before they give it to us. Um, But you would think it'd be the other direction. And that's about so that's the four quarters. That's the state's contribution on behalf of Shawnee Mission School District into the capers fund. Um, We're estimating 32 million dollars for 2021. And that would be four quarters of payments. And so, again, that's just flow through money. Um, Next slide. So this last group, um, I like to call our self-supported funds. Uh, We use that terminology because these funds stand on their own. We we do not use any of our operating funds to support these funds. There's no transfers to these funds. So they are... Each individual fund is a state authority fund. State statute gives us authority to have this fund. We can either charge a fee or local taxes to collect the revenues, and then it's supposed to be spent for that purpose. Um, I won't go through each of them, but you can see the food service uh, fund is there. That's the large one. Uh, We get federal dollars. We get state dollars. We and students pay for their meals. That's the revenue sources, and that goes to to run the food service program. That is a self-supported fund. We do not transfer any money over to food service from the operating fund. So Nancy Kochenauer does an excellent job of running that program um, to be self-supported. In fact, we we are able to charge the maximum uh, indirect costs to the food service fund. So indirect costs, you, you would think of your overhead like electricity um, in the buildings, we are able to take roughly $675,000 from the operating funds and put it over to the food service fund, which helps the operating funds. Um, and so we're very lucky that we were able to do that. Not all school school districts can do that. Now, you can see the summer school special liability is a tax fund. So we, we do uh, a local mill levy, and that goes to cover any liability claims against the district. Um, textbook rental fund, we charge an $80, $80 textbook rental fund at the secondary level only. And again, this is just to spend on textbook and curriculum materials. Curriculum and instructional materials. Okay. Um, I was going to move on unless anybody had any question on a particular fund. I have a question. Mm
11: -hmm. Go
9: ahead. so each of these
4: line items come into the end with many zeros. Uh, is that because we have to finalize the number I and mean, not have a zero balance to carry
9: forward? Is it? Uh, no, um, what we do here is we budgeted the full amount so that we have the authority to spend that. Uh, we rarely ever do um, spend all that. And if you don't, then it just ends in the any balance. So. For your example, Brad, uh, if you look at the beginning balance, that's typically what you'll see at the end of 2021. So you see the food service ending in zero. We like to budget the full authority. So if something does happen during the year, like if we have a spike in, in food costs, uh, Nancy, we already have the budget authority to go out and spend that if necessary. Um, but Typically, that is not the case, um, and we'll end probably somewhere in a three million dollar ending fund balance for food service.
4: All right. So another way of saying that is we're we're overestimating or rounding up the potential expenditures so as not to have a a surprise. And take that is correct. That. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, that helps. Thank you.
0: Are there any okay. other?
1: I have a question. This is Laura Guy. Go ahead, Reverend Guy. Um, Russ, I apologize that this is outside the scope of what you're presenting to us tonight, but the board has been following um, the food service budget simply because when we made the policy change, we knew that we were incurring more expenses there. And I'm just wondering if that's reflected in this yet or if that's still lagging a little in seeing exactly where we are with food service.
9: Yeah, so what you would see that, so it does not have a direct impact on the receipts and expenditures that I'm showing you tonight so that that's estimates that if we were back in school for 2021, what we might see is the 3,072,000 beginning balance might come in lower than that. Um, Nancy did an estimate a few weeks ago and um, showed that we were probably going to deficit spend in that fund because um, all your revenues basically are shut off for, from spring break to the end of the year you no longer have student mill revenues coming in and so all you do you have the expenditures coming out for the mills that we're providing and then we're getting reimbursed reimbursed by the federal um, summer school guidelines and so we do anticipate uh, spending more than we're bringing in in the food service um, and you'll see that when we close the books out on June 30th. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: And actually, I have a quick question. Um, mm-hmm. On the f- flow-through dollars, that didn't always work that way for keepers. And I believe that that was changed within the last few years. And so um, I just want to point out, it used to be that those dollars didn't run through the state, but they they switched it up and had to flow-through go, go through the state. So it looked as though they were providing additional funding from the state to the school districts but really it was our dollars coming back to us. And do, uh, Mary do you remember what year that happened I feel like it's I mean it's recent enough that I remember it but I think it's been a few years now.
8: Um, I'm thinking about I know the mill levy was changed to do that so the 20 mills used to go directly to the districts and that and I want to say that was maybe 2015 or 16 so that half a million dollar or 500 million dollars that's generated statewide through the 20 mills, um, or maybe might be 550 million, something like that. That, so each district used to get their own 20 mills directly. And now that piece, I know, flows through the state. That was maybe 2015 or that that was changed. Thanks. I, I just wanted to... Mr. Knapp, if you remember that. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah, it,
9: yeah, you're you're correct, Heather. Uh, it's probably been longer than you think. It's probably been a good 10, 15 years they've been doing that capers thing. And the more recently was the 20 mils for the general fund. Thank you.
6: Yeah. I have a question, Miss Ausley Go ahead. Um, Russ, you had mentioned that um, there's 9.3 million in the custodians that's not in the capital outlay fund. I know that's something that's been, you know, discussed a topic of discussion. Can you talk about the pros and cons of moving that $9.3 million custodial salary into the capital outlay fund? Uh,
9: Yes. Um, If you were to do the move to the capital outlay fund, that is a one-time move, okay? It's very difficult to move those expenditures back to the operating fund. So if if you're going to move it from the operating funds to capital you can do it one time. The, the second thing is it's going to put a lot of pressure on the capital outlay fund. That's why I stressed to you that $10.6 million in bond debt would be paid off in 21-22, which would make it available in 22-23, 20, have an additional $10.6 million available. So if you take $9.3 and move it over there, you are basically competing against Everything else that's already allocated in the capital outlay fund, so Brad mentioned deferred projects. You would be deferring projects down the road because that nine point three million would take away um, any of those cycle projects that he has planned out for the next year or two.
6: is there any upside to and I appreciate that explanation uh, what would be the upside of moving that money from
9: into the capital all fund the upside it would just it would free up 9.3 million dollars in your operating funds one time
6: and you'll explain that at the next meeting how that
9: money yeah, is we can, yeah yeah we can talk about that more yeah
6: okay yeah.
7: thank you okay. Okay. are there more
0: slides yeah. i have a question but i'll let you get through your slides there there are, there, are more slides,
9: or there aren't more slides. There are more slides. Okay, so we'll do you that. Let me finish up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's All turn to right. the next slide. Um, so I, I just like to show you the Mill Levy history. Um, we have consistently gone down. Part of that is because the assessment valuation has shown a steady growth in the past five years. Uh, again, we're anticipating a small decrease of point two four percent. Um, next year, but again, we're, these are very preliminary numbers and uh, we do not lock in that final assessed valuation until October. Um, and next slide. And then remind you of the, the budget timeline. So tonight um, we started a budget, our first budget workshop with the board uh, for non-operating funds, and then we'll do operating funds May 26th. Um, board meetings have not been set for next year but roughly around july 20th we bring to you uh, it's called code code 99 in the budget world which is the publication page so that basically gives you two years of actual expenditure it gives you the budget amount or the the, the most budget authorization that you can have for 2021. The board, um, it's an action item for board approval on that date. Um, And then we publish it in the the newspaper. It would be the Kansas City Star. Um, That has to run for 10 days by state law. And then we will um, tentatively hold a budget hearing before a regular scheduled board meeting for any patrons that want to come and talk about the budget. And that's tentatively scheduled for August 10th board then would have an action item on their regular agenda and if approved we would submit it to the county and the state by august 25th and so this is kind of the the uh statutorial guidelines um, for the timeline for the budget and that is my last slide so now we'll if there's any additional questions
0: uh, so I know Ms. Hembry definitely has one.
7: <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Adley. Um, I have, and it might be a, um, it's a really big, broad question, so it might be a better Dr. Fulton question, but my understanding is that this is the first, can you guys hear me okay? I put my earbuds in, is it better? Okay. Um I know this is the first budget we've worked through since the full approval of the strategic plan last summer, and I am curious, big picture, um, whether now that we have a strategic plan in place in such clear direction from our community, if there's any specific changes we've made to this budget from last year to this in
0: light of the strategic plan. Um, I think the strategic plan was in place when we approved the last budget.
5: It was and I'll I'll speak to that. I think that's part of what uh, my report in June to you will be about is you know, we had, we approved the strategic plan in June. We've had a number of groups that have been studying some important issues, and I'm gonna and they're in the process of completing their report, or in some cases they have completed their report. And with that study done, now we can begin the process of really thinking about what uh, what strategies might we use going forward that are uh, physically responsible, sustainable because, as Russ said, you know, there's there's a lot of needs, a lot of requests. But the interplay between the operating capital and bond uh, categories is really, really important to take a careful look at the long term health of the district. And so that's why, uh, you know, tonight you get some of the information to board meeting will be more. But it's it's the budget is being uh built in such a way that it's designed to support those three objectives. So we'll we'll be talking about that in depth as we go through it.
0: Great. My, <laughs> I'm sorry, did you have another one? I didn't hear you.
7: I do. I have another question is that if that's all right. Yeah. Um, I was just interested in that. it looks to me like we're which is, it sounds like it's a little bit different in past years, having both an ending fund balance and an unallocated project balance and our capital outlay fund, um, a $5.8 million unallocated project fund and a $5 million ending fund balance. And it sounded to me like the intention of both of those line items was to um, cover unexpected costs and cash flow issues. Am I correct about that?
9: No, we've we've been doing that model for many, many years now. Um, we try to budget again we try to do the five million and then to give um M the budget authority if it needs a rise then we have it in the unallocated line so we can just move it out of there into a project that we need be uh the the example we used was a tornado earlier yeah. so we've been doing that for quite a few years
0: okay thank you mm-hmm. go ahead ms borkman um i actually wanted
6: to build off jessica's uh first question um because i i think it's a good one <clears throat> so jessica was asking or miss Hembry was asking about basically was there much is there much movement based on the strategic plan and the budget um I, I think that's a good question um so i know that you know the budget was set um last year based on you know, the strategic plan or after the strategic plan was implemented, did we see much change or much movement um, based on um, the strategic plan and the values of our community versus previous years? Or was it pretty consistent? Um, I think that's a a good
5: question to ask. Now you're talking about in the budget making process?
6: Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm just curious as to how much the budget actually changed last year based on that the strategic plan and
5: incorporating the community's values well i think it did change in these in this respect uh you know we've been involved in three years of deficit spending that was addressed we had a million dollar shortfall in our title program that was a result of two uh, half million dollar hits and those that that uh, loss in funds was covered through reduction about $680,000 worth in administrative cuts at the CAA level. So there were absolutely uh, changes made in the budget to reflect the priority on the strategic plan. And, uh, you know, that's that's a process that is going to continue into this budget. I think the challenge, one of the challenges we're going to face going forward, and you'll see this in time here as we walk through all these data with you, is with the bond, uh, the current bond issue done, uh, it is going to be critical moving forward to have a well thought out bond issue to make sure that, that we have ongoing and routine maintenance, taking care of roofs, windows, HVAC, so Because if you don't, then that really increases the amount of money that's necessary in capital just to get those basic needs met. So that's why I say the interplay between operational capital and bond issue is very, very important. And as Russ said, you know, the challenge that any any generation faces is you really have to think about what do we need today? How do we prioritize those needs? And how do those needs fit into the long-term health of the district budget? Because you don't want to do something today that's going to harm you five years. from now. So the fact that we're studying these issues in depth, we're laying the data out in a very transparent way, reflects our commitment to putting together the best possible plan to fund the strategic plan, but also do so in a fiscally responsible way. So that's...
6: How does the We're, facilities and finance committee then play tie into all of this?
5: Well, they are an advisory committee, and I, I'll let have the uh, perhaps uh, uh, Mr. Stratton and Dr. Sinclair speak to this more. But they're, they serve an advisory capacity and they're looking at this data and giving their thoughts you know, on the budget as well. So, Mr. Stratton, do you want to or Dr. Sinclair, do you want to address that?
4: Yes. Um. I mentioned earlier in my report that their role is to be the eyes and ears of the broader community as well. I mean, we certainly as the seven board members are elected for that very role, but we've expanded or broadened that reach by appointing these folks to continue to do that as well. Our, our ask of them is to ask for their input on how better to convey this information to the community. So to, to continue this two-way, Participatory dialogue with the community. We didn't uh, appoint these folks to say they're experts in specific areas to therefore say take pen in hand and carve up the budget. I mean, ultimately, that decision making comes down to us as the Board of Education. But their role is a conduit back out to the community to gather input on priorities, but equally, how are we communicating best with the community about. The data that, that Russ is presenting as well as the decision making process that goes into this so this isn't about gathering input and saying no I think this project over here holds more value than this project over here we have teams of staff members with uh, you know full-time professional experience that are doing that ultimately we're talking about it in a much broader terms than that we're talking about how does it plug into the strategic plan how does it put plug into the long-term plan to implement and then and asking this group Are we conveying that information as best we can based on what you hear from the community?
6: Yeah, I agree. I and I listened to the the committee, the last committee meeting that was held. And um, I just thought that was a very important point to tie in because you are asking those questions and we are getting some really great feedback. So I think it's it's worth repeating the kind of work that 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 committee is doing.
8: Thank you. Dr. Sinclair, you have a question? Yeah, I'd just like to add the kind of a legislative lens layered into the work of the um, Finance and Facilities Committee and Budget Planning. And, and the fact that Kansas, um, under the Montoy Agreement, has laid out a multi-year budget for districts, assuming the impact of COVID doesn't totally wipe that out. But the we have, as a the state have not had the capacity to do long-term planning at the district level because of the chaos surrounding the school finance formula and, and the budgets in years past. And so um, it's, it's really critical and um, to consider the capacity for districts to do that long-term planning because so many of the dollars that we commit to are year over year dollars that are paid to um, personnel, which is uh, our teachers and educators and all the staff who make up the district, um, all that uh, support for students, 70 percent of our budget, those are kind of year-over-year costs. And so to make shifts, we really need that long-term planning from the state to help us um, make those decisions, as well as our own long-term planning on how we manage our own dollars, whether it's the capital and bond in relation to our um, operational budgets that we get from the state primarily and fed so um, I'm hopeful that the state will be able to commit to some kind of long-term planning within the school finance formula so that we can in turn as a local district um, make the most of our budget in relation to our strategic plan layer I wanted to add to that conversation. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Um, I can't see Reverend Guy, so I'm going to ask you, Reverend Guy, do you have any questions at this time? I do not. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ms. Goodburn,
2: do you have any questions at this time? No, just a comment to thank Mr. Knapp for his um, patience and professionalism and laying this all out for us every year. I think this is, I don't know, my ninth or so of of, Presentation that I've gone through for the, for the last nine years. So he does such a great job. So I just wanted to thank him. Thank,
9: thank you. Him. Appreciate that.
0: Hey, okay, well, I'm not. Oh, look, Mr. Stratton.
9: I
4: will. I will add to that by saying um, this is a fluid process. Uh, I want to give uh, both appreciation to Russ Knapp and his flexibility, and uh, board members that are on the call here who have submitted some suggestions already that were incorporated into this presentation. So. Uh, I won't mention any names, but Dr. Sinclair provided some of the background and uh, data for some of these slides and Russ was good to incorporate them in. And I think that's exactly what we're going for is none of this is being done in a vacuum. This is doing being done with participation and input from a variety of folks, including your elected board. So I couldn't
0: let that go. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Does anybody else have anything else to add at this juncture? Well, thank you, Mr. Knapp. We appreciate you coming and being with us tonight. Um, thank sure you. My
3: if pleasure. anybody has
0: further questions, they can forward them to Dr. Bolton and get them to Mr. Knapp. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to move on to the consent agenda at this juncture. Um, item 4.1, I'll seek a motion for the approval of the consent items.
8: Move approval, Goodburn.
0: Ms. Goodburn, do I have a 2nd
8: Well, second. Sinclair.
0: Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 are there any opposed? Hearing none that passes unanimously and we move on to our action items. Our first action item this evening evening is the approval of the amendment um, to the agreement for the transportation of our students during this time and I will have uh, Dr. Fulton speak to that after we get a motion and a second. So I will seek a motion for approval. So moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. And is there a second? I think that was Ms. Borgman as a second, and I will shoot it over to you now, Dr.
5: Fulton. Okay, thank you, and Dr. Greta has a brief overview for you, and we'll be happy to respond to questions.
10: Good evening, Madam President, members of the Board of Education, and Dr. Fulton. We are recommending this evening approval of the amendment to the transportation agreement with DS Bus Lines in order to pay our bus drivers and monitors for the 42 days students will not be transported to and from school due to emergency school closure and the coronavirus. The expense of $1,247,400 is budgeted and will be paid from the operations fund. And as Mr. Knapp said earlier in his presentation, all transportation expenses are paid from the operations fund. At this time, I'd be happy to answer questions.
0: Does anyone have any questions? I'm not seeing any, um, but Reverend Guy can't see you. Do you have any questions? I do not. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Okay. Well, it should be. There's no discussion on this item. We can just vote at this time. Not seeing any. Okay. So all those in favor please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, this passes unanimously. We can move on to 5.2, approval of the summer 2020 daycare sites with JCPRD and YMCA. Um, I'm sorry, what Dr. Fulton?
5: No, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Okay. Um, I'll seek a motion for approval. Move approval, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? Hembree, second. Thank you, Ms. Hembree. Um, And Dr. Fulton, do you have anything to speak to on this item?
5: Well, Dr. Atha, Deputy Superintendent, and uh, Dr. Neal, who's Assistant Superintendent, uh, will be happy to uh, respond to any questions that you may have.
10: Just a comment before uh, you take action. Each year, the board is asked to approve Johnson County Parks and Recreation District and the YMCA summer daycare uh, sites at various schools in our district. Uh, Dr. Leanne Neal has worked with these entities uh, even through today in developing these lease agreements, and she too is prepared to answer any questions. And I think she has a comment to make as well as, as, as a result of a recent change today that was put on the agenda on a site. Dr. Neal.
12: I do. Thank you, Dr. Atha, um, Members of the board, uh, today we made a slight adjustment. Uh, we um, switched out an agreement for Comanche to be an agreement with for Apache as a site. Um, that was done because for the y, and that was with the YMCA. Um, Comanche and Rose Hill were both um, grab-and-go meal sites. And we found out um, that the food service in order to be able to accomplish the um, immense task of um, organizing all of those would need the entire cafeteria or NPR space. We were able to find an, uh, an additional space at Rose Hill. And so we're going to be able to continue there without them using the cafeteria. But Comanche presented us with a problem. We didn't have an alternate um, additional um, location in their building that we thought would work well. So um, Apache, um, we've worked with the school there as well as O&M, our teams, and um, we were able to substitute that. And so that will be their fourth location. it's located in relatively um, as close geographic proximity as we could to the original Comanche site.
0: Thank you. I think I saw Dr. Sinclair with her hand up for a question.
8: Um, Yes, I'm not sure who to direct this question to. Um, Could uh, someone speak? to maybe just a couple of the accommodations or, or considerations that have had to be addressed um, in the context of COVID, or some of the questions that, you know, top two questions that seem to be kind of creating challenges and
5: um, or questions among our parents and teachers. Well, I will start and then turn it over to Dr. Aetha. You know, one of the things that uh, from the very beginning of this process, when schools were closed, that uh, was brought to our attention. It has been a, a very big uh, topic with the county and state is childcare, yeah. childcare, not only for uh, for those kind of frontline workers, but for others as well. And we know that childcare is a big issue uh, as we look forward to whatever uh, solutions we create for next year. So it is. It's very important to note that under the Kansas framework, uh, there's a special uh, uh, importance put on providing licensed daycare to those families who need it, and this reflects uh, our our commitment to that, but also our adherence to the guidelines that the state of Kansas has developed. Hence child care will be available starting uh, June 1st, whereas other programs in our buildings will not uh, become available until sometime in July. So with that, I'll turn over to Dr. Apo, or Dr.
10: Well, as Dr. Fulton said, uh, you know, it, 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 if approved this evening, these daycares are, are scheduled to begin June 1. But uh, Leon and our in-house counsel uh, built into this agreement uh, obviously, safety is is, is paramount and uh, always comes first, uh, and particularly in reference to COVID-19. So, if for instance uh, things didn't continue to approve, uh, if we were to fall back a little bit, um, and, and with this illness, um, we we have the ability to stop this agreement from moving forward. Uh, I I don't, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but we did build that into to the contract uh, for safety valve. And Dr. Neal, if you have anything to add to that,
12: no, that's correct. And and both of our providers, um, we've worked along with them um, throughout this process, and they are very well aware of um, of those reopening plans, and they were very open to us adding that language. Um, that went with whatever the most stringent guideline is if there happens to be a shift in
0: that guidance. Yep. Um, I saw Miss Hembry with her hand up. Do you have a question, Jessica?
7: Yeah, I know typically these are um, for school-age kids, the JCPRD and YMCA summer curriculum. Is that is that still the case or with COVID-19 or are they gonna be serving up I have a old. I have a three-year-old at home. I'm just curious, I'm sure other folks are too.
5: Sure. No, they they have uh, very specific uh, uh, programs that they offer, and uh, we re- we are uh, not only participating in them. We're required to participate with them to do this. And so, whatever programs they offer, that's that's what's provided. That didn't give you much more information than you had before, but but that's the way it works. They, they as a licensed child care, they offer the programs, that if parents choose to participate in those, then they. So, it's not anything different than their typical summer programming. I'll defer to Dr. Atha or, or Dr. Neal for any greater insight on
12: that. So, Dr. Fulton, if I may, um, I, my understanding is that it will be essentially their usual summer um, childcare camps, although they may have, um, they may tweak that somewhat. You know, um, I know um, anecdotally from the past that sometimes they have done outings like swimming and those kind of things. I anticipate with the guidance and the rules that they'll be working under, they may be adjusting some of those activities um, and certainly will be adjusting within their licensing requirements in terms of um, social distancing, any kind of those um, requirements. You mentioned school age. They also, at a couple of the sites, I know both providers will offer for pre-K age children as well. Okay. Thank you very
7: much.
10: And I can't emphasize enough how great a partner that both JCPRD and the YMCA has, has been, not only in the summer program, but throughout the year. And they've worked with us in inclement weather. We've worked with them to try to help them keep their program open, even on those snow days.
5: I, just have- I, do, I do want to emphasize this, and it's, it's worth repeating, that these programs, while they're running in our, in our schools, uh, as licensed daycares.
13: there
5: There is no other uh, programming happening in our schools uh, through June and into uh, July. It will be uh, really through summer school. There'll be no, through the end of summer school, which is July 16th, there'll be no indoor uh, classroom learning taking place in our schools. And that is to, to stay in adherence uh, with the framework as best we can.
10: Uh, given- and Dr. Fulton, thank you for that clarification because I think that's very important to stress.
0: I have a generic question not related to COVID. Um, hmm. A constituent asked, and I just couldn't recall, and I, I know that this has been explained to me previously and I've just forgotten, but what is the process for having uh, the decision with regards to whether or not JCPRD or why the white care is offered in a building. How do we make that decision?
5: Dr. Atha
10: Dr. Neal? I believe that, that would be made uh, based upon the guidelines set forth by the county as well as the state. We're going to follow those guidelines. Um, Dr. Neil do you have anything to add?
12: If I if I'm hearing your question correctly, I think you're asking perhaps how do how how are schools designated YMCA versus JCPRD?
0: Yes. Is that
12: correct? hmm So if
0: I, was geography or if there was some other reason. There.
12: We are roughly I'd say we're roughly 50% one or the other. Um and that's been the case for as long as I can recall. And I'm sorry I don't I have picked up um coordination of this in the last few years, but I don't really have any long-standing knowledge as to how those were originally um, identified, as to how they chose those providers initially. Uh, I know that um, we, we work with the schools if they have challenges or issues, um, you know, each provider has been really great. Um, they have slightly different, um, you know, they approach the processes in a slightly different manner. But typically, I would tell you that for the most part at the schools, um, they're, you know, the site directors, if they have great site directors, those communities are invested in those providers. Um, And so we typically, um, I haven't seen a lot of change in terms of who's the provider at which school. And I would say we're roughly
8: 50-50. Dr. Sinclair? So um, Shawnee Mission is essentially, we're a team player in helping create opportunities to provide um, very critical daycare for our frontline workers and essential workers. So the district is partnering with other members of the community to provide that facility. Um, We also then would have the opportunity to observe and see how those two groups, the county and uh, the Y are going to manage the kind of providing educational or daycare support services with those elements of social distancing. So that is not, we don't manage that, That right? That is theirs to piece, and we can learn and see um, how they're gonna go about doing that in our facilities. So it helps us kind of see maybe what some of our challenges and um, strategies might be when we get to that phase of reopening. Sorry, that was kind of more of a comment than a question sorry that's okay
0: um are there any other questions on this item okay great um, at this point i'll have us vote all those in favor please say aye. 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 aye aye are there any opposed hearing none it passes unanimously and we'll move on to 5.3 um, thank you dr atha and dr neil um, so 5.3, the approval of the purchase and adoptions of the secondary science curriculum. I'll seek a motion in a second, and then we can have discussion. Um, do I have a motion? I move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Goodburn, second. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Um, Dr. Fulton, I'll turn it over to you.
5: Okay, thank you very much. Well, we're very pleased tonight to bring you uh, uh, a recommendation for approval of secondary science curriculum. Dr. Uh, Michelle Hubbard, who's the C- Associate Superintendent for Leadership and Learning. Uh, Dr. Darren Dennis, Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. Christine Zuck, uh, Secondary Coordinator for Math and Science, along with a esteemed group of teachers. Uh, Aaron Dean, teacher at Shawnee Mission South. Jim Sherwood, teacher at Shawnee Mission North. Michelle Nixon, teacher at Westridge, are also here to provide you with an overview of this process and respond to any questions that you may have. So Dr. Hubbard, it's all yours.
11: I wanna thank you guys for the opportunity to present um, the secondary science resource adoption, supporting our curriculum 712 for the area of science. Um, just real quickly, I wanna thank the teachers for their time and input in this process and for being here to present tonight. There's also a large group of teachers sitting behind the ones that are um, with us tonight that I would just like to extend a special thank you to, and I'm sure Kristen will be talking about that as well. Um, but this process, uh, we have been uh, duplicating for uh, probably three years now of bringing in teachers and running pilots and making sure there's a, a large teacher voice in the selection that we make. and. Um, just a, a big kudos to Darren Dennis and especially to Ms. Kristen's for her work on this curriculum adoption, um, resource adoption um, to support our curriculum. They've done an amazing job. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Darren and to Kristen.
4: Uh, thank you, Dr. Hubbard uh, and members of the board, Dr. Fulton as well. Um, as you've heard, we are here to recommend approval of some science resources it was the science. Uh, it was their turn uh, to look
14: at those resources. And we had terrific participation. We had
4: 37 science teachers across the district in, in all feeder patterns. And uh, we also had participation from over 4,000 students. Uh, Kristen Zook really did the lion's share of coordinating and orga- organizing this. And I'm pleased to introduce her to make the presentation this evening.
3: Okay, thank you. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and we're excited to share our process with you. This is um, the biggest science adoption that we've had since 2012, and I was lucky enough to get to facilitate this with the teachers. We had nine different courses that were going through an adoption this year, and we did pull in teachers from each of those areas. And I have three of them with me here tonight, as you heard earlier so Michelle and Jim and Aaron are going to share with us um, parts of this presentation as well and they were on the teams that went through this entire process so they can speak to it um, from a teacher viewpoint and um, worked with the students um, let's see if you want to move to the next slide um, overarching everything that we did was just keeping in mind these objectives from our um, strategic plan and I do believe that everything that we you'll see that everything that we've chosen fully supports that really helps our students and i think that you'll um, be able to see that as we go a little more in depth through this process you want to move on to the next one um you can see these are all of the courses that we're getting um, that were up for adoption this year and so we did have teachers representing each of these teams from every building and we'll go through the process a little bit more in depth because it would it would be hard to go through each of these uh products individually since there are so many so i thought we could focus more on the process and the teachers and the students and how they went through and how they chose and are recommending these Uh, if you want to move the next one. This is the timeline that we went through and you can see that we started this about a year ago uh, last May and that is when I went and started kind of meeting with the different vendors and seeing what the different resources and products are that are available to us at this time and we were able to kind of go through I wanted to make sure that our process was in place that we would have um, appropriate time to complete that process without putting too much stress on anybody And also that we had the appropriate rubrics in place, making sure we were looking at the right things and selecting our products based on those things. Um, And we'll go through each of those steps. But as you can see, it's taken us about a full year to go all the way through this and get to the point that we are now. You wanna switch to the next slide. So here's step one of our process, which is to assemble our teams. And what we do is every school has the opportunity to send somebody for each of those courses. And so, like Dr. Dennis said earlier, we did have representation from lots of teachers. We had all six high schools included, all five middle schools included. Uh, We also had instructional coaches. We had special education teachers, both at the middle school and the high school level as part of those teams and teachers that support our ELL students making sure we get all perspectives, making sure that everybody um, has a voice and that we're really doing uh, doing a good job of of keeping everyone in mind. You wanna switch to the next. So here is where we just talked about, we have 37 teachers overall that were, that participated in this evaluation. They also participated in the pilot process and, I tell you, we needed their expertise. They are phenomenal. They they took their time to meet with us and to discuss all of this and to go through all of these. They also piloted two different products in their classrooms with those 4,000 students that were involved. Um, and I am, I'm grateful to them. Those teachers did a phenomenal job. And if you um, at any point want to or have time, those, um, each of those courses that's listed, if you If you click that link, it will take you to the list of teachers that were involved in that specific content area in that course and how many students they had that were involved and from which school. But I was very pleased with our participation and those teachers did an absolutely phenomenal job. Um, If you want to skip to the next one. And this is, yeah, this is step two of our process. I think Jim is going to take over here.
13: All right, so um, this is uh, where we did the pre-screen and where we went through things. The first of these pre-screens is the one that was started back in May uh, of 19. And we went through those. Um, They had to meet the uh, next generation science standards. We had to go through all those to make sure that what we had. And we went through, there were a number of resources and we tried to take those down from anywhere from four to five to two sources that we could actually look through and and make a decision about. Next slide. To do that, we used the um, primary evaluation of essential criteria or PEAK. Um, We did those in our groups. So by content area, we went through each one of these, looked at those for, did they meet uh, next generation science standards? Um, Were these things that had lessons specifically um, identified by the uh, NSTA and Next Generation Science Standards, where they meet all those criteria? And everything had to have a, um, had to have, be vetted to make sure that they could meet that criteria. Next slide. And here's the group, these, I believe there's a middle school, where they got together and they're going through the the different uh, resources that were available to see what they could uh, make of those resources themselves.
14: Okay, I think uh, I'm taking over on the next slide, so go ahead and change to the next one. Each team of teachers received training on the two resources. They decided that, uh, we decided that we wanted to pilot. Uh, Teachers were then given time to work with peers to figure out which units and lessons would be most appropriate to implement the pilot. Next slide. This slide shows um, just the different resources that each content area decided was most appropriate to pilot. You can see uh, there's uh, looks like six different groups represented. Next slide. I believe these are also middle school teachers um who are being trained these are just two different pictures of the trainings that were taking place next slide
2: all right hello everyone this is michelle nixon and we're on step four where we had feedback from our pilots so during the actual piloting surveys were given in order to get feedback about the experience once it was underway and this was both from students and teachers because you know, we all know that sometimes resources look outstanding on paper, but when you're actually using them, the results are quite different. So we wanted to make sure that we had surveys and feedback going through the process. Next slide, please. These are some examples of learning by doing, which is a key component of good science instruction. And the resources that we chose, all of them, not only include multiple opportunities to learn by doing, but they'll also allow us the flexibility to maintain all the community outreach things that we're already doing, like river training, testing water quality, and the many other things we're doing throughout the district. Next slide, please. On this page, you'll actually see the links of the actual evaluations. So we were evaluating the content. So teachers did that, and we evaluated the instructional materials Um, using a rubric and then the students as well were able to do that Um, and these are just the tools that we used and then if you wanted to look further you could see the actual qualities that we were looking at on those next slide please on this last one this is some of the responses from middle school teachers about the resource that we um, chose as a group and What we really liked, the evaluation tool had open-ended feedback questions. And so these are some of the responses from the teachers. Um, Again, huge things. The the way the resource was organized was very easy for teachers to use in their classroom. We love that it had the five E's, which is critical um, for science. We love that they had Spanish versions of everything available. It was nice having different reading levels that was already differentiated and we could quickly and easily assign it through the web tools. Um, The flexibility that it allowed us, there was lots of opportunity for them to interpret data through the TUVA data sets, which was all graphing, et cetera. And that was an easy link that was right there and there were lots of them available. The thing I also loved was that the activity sheets were editable through Google Docs. So they would give you like their standard, you know, here's our worksheet thing, but if you wanted to customize it for individual students or your group specifically, you could. And next slide.
14: Thank you. Students were also given the chance to provide feedback on um, how they felt about the two resources that we piloted. This here is uh, Simscopes versus Pearson in a freshman biology class. Um, I personally wasn't surprised at all by the feedback the students gave since during the actual pilot, they uh, expressed that they liked Pearson better um, at the high school level. And my students thought the chapter quizzes in the book were easy to use and same with the online resource. They also liked how the book provided questions that were arranged by difficulty level, which made it easy to study for the unit tests. Next slide, please.
3: Uh, The last process, um, the last piece of our process was having the teams meet for those final evaluations. Um,
13: Which we did those in person. Um, We took the surveys that we had, we, got back together and we made our final recommendations. And we tried to make those, um, you know, based on what we uh, met the criteria, uh, worked well with the students, um, we had good support from publishers and the teachers approved of them as well.
3: Yep, and that link is at the bottom of that page if you would like to see the kinds of things. Um, That's kind of the overall process of When they made that final evaluation, that final recommendation, they're looking at the design of the product. They're looking at both the digital and anything physical, the physical print copies or any other supplies that come with it. They were looking at the instructional supports, um, like differentiation, all those kinds of things that come with them. And then also, a big piece of this is does it allow, um, does it support teachers in making their, um, and looking at student learning? Some of them come with. They come with all kinds of assessment we're looking at the the depth of the assessment how many different kinds of assessment they also include some of them already include things like proficiency scales they they show you what this would look like if a student has mastered this and those are all things that they didn't always used to include so these are some really great things that have been added that i know will be really beneficial to our students and our teachers so those were the kinds of things that went into this final evaluation And the teachers were able to meet and talk amongst themselves and and submit those. Um, Next slide, please. And again, this is the same slide as as from the beginning, but this was what was our final recommendation. These are what what they chose after going through that process. And then the next one, I believe, includes more information. So these are the same ones, and these will include the, the cost for them, This does include, for every single student, a digital access and also a classroom set of print materials and whatever additional ones may be needed. So there's some additional added to every building um, for students who may have specific needs. They need to take a book home also, something like that. But then for some of our courses, which you'll notice for Science 7 and 8, it may be significantly more. That actually includes all lab kits and lab resources and their consumables for the length of the adoption. So that is for the entire eight years, every student will have access to every single lab or kit regardless of what the school had prior. Um, So that's a really neat thing that typically we only see with middle school science adoptions right now. They don't really offer those at a high school level yet, Um, but typically our high schools have more um, lab equipment And if you go through there, you'll see that most of these are an eight-year adoption, or I guess the ones more on the left are eight-year adoption. Our honors biology and our anatomy um, can only be six-year adoptions because our honors AP and college-level courses, the vendors typically are just, I don't know that I've ever seen them do an eight-year, they will only do a six-year adoption. Um, And then at the bottom, you can see there the earth and space science is a one-year adoption, and that is because that course is being piloted for the first time at Shawnee Mission West, and we've never offered it before, so they don't, they don't have a resource. So that will support the students and the teachers that are going through that pilot for next year. Um, if you wanna to move to the next slide. This is what we see as our next steps, is obviously some implementation training for all of our teachers, so they feel very confident moving forward with all of these new resources, and also just ongoing professional development. So um, we would like to provide several opportunities for teachers to learn and go more in depth with, with these different products that we're getting. And we also have opportunities to base that on student, or the teacher's need. So if they are saying that they need more training in a specific area, we have those days that are included in this that we can provide that training for them. And then also time for their PLCs to be able to get together and plan lessons and make sure that we can implement this, implement this very smoothly and integrate into our curriculum maps. Because I know um, we've spent a great deal of time on those curriculum maps and really building them and making sure that they're very robust. And so making sure that these work with what the teachers feel is the best practice in that area. Are there any questions? I believe that is our, all of our information at this time. And just run down
0: the line and touch base with all our board members. Uh, Dr. Sinclair, do you have any questions?
8: Uh, Most just a comment. This is an incredibly thorough and well integrated evaluation. Um, Just even looking through all the rubrics and the level of detail that was considered from multiple stakeholders. um, It's um, it's impressive and I, I can't imagine that this was not a pretty intensive commitment to doing this evaluation. And I appreciate it. And I hope it's been um, as meaningful um, to you all as as it is to me as a board member and being able to support these decisions. So, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions or comments?
4: I do have one quick one. And then I apologize if you already said this. But um, when you went through this, now with this benefit of hindsight, did you uh, get from these vendors their, their uh, online and virtual learning capabilities? Uh, should we ever have to go through something like this again? Is that something that they are now incorporating in these uh, vendor presentations?
3: Typically, they do that anyway. Um, it is almost impossible to purchase only the physical resources. So you can purchase just digital, but typically what we'll buy is the digital for every student and then the books just at the certain for a certain number. But typically that is how they do it anyway. And so because of that, I think that their online support and what they provide to the students digitally and or virtually now is really, really comprehensive it it, it has it includes so much more than it did even just five years ago so these are they're very robust platforms that they use now thank
4: you i would have assumed that uh, they're well up to speed on that but we've had a really important test drive that just took place so.
3: <laughs> we have yes thank you
0: Ms. boardman do you have any comments or questions
6: yeah actually i just wanted to say 37 teachers and four thousand students that's impressive and Ms. Nixon, I, I love your excitement towards this project. So um, I loved your little, you know, raise the roof. And um, so this, again, just to echo what Dr. Sinclair said, incredibly thorough, um, it makes us feel good to support these types of, of curriculum changes. And so we, I just want to thank you for the amount of work that went into it, as well as
0: the student and teacher input. So thank you. Thanks. Reverend Guy, do you have any comments or questions this evening?
1: No, just to thank you for the presentation. It was very thorough and um, I loved hearing about all the inputs. So thank you for the presentation. Thank you.
0: Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions or comments? I don't, but thanks. Thanks for the presentation. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Ms. Henry.
7: Um, just jo all on, and I, I think I'm curious as a new board member, this is one of the first times I've been involved in approving new curriculum. Is this representative of how we select curriculum kind of k twelve for all of our different subject matters, or is this sort of a new approach we're, we're trying out where we're so thorough and elicit so much input?
14: Over the last two to three years, this is the process we've been using. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone for coming and presenting tonight. Um, I agree that it was a lively and enjoyable presentation. So thank you
5: for being here. If I may make one quick comment. I just want to uh, praise the team for the great job that they did. Um, and the presentation was fantastic. So thanks to all of you and for those committee members uh, that are that are here with us in spirit and not online. So thank you.
3: Thank you very
0: much. Well, let's go ahead and vote on this item. All those in favor, please say aye. Um, are there any opposed? Hearing none, and I think without surprise that passes unanimously. That is our last item on our agenda, but for comments from board members. So I'll once again run down through the list um, and everyone can give some closing remarks for the evening. Ms. Goodburn, do you have anything to add for tonight? I do, Uh, No, I don't have anything. anything. Okay. Thank you. Um, Reverend Guy, do you have any comments for this evening?
1: Um, I just said at our last meeting that I was holding the graduation dates on my calendar just sort of symbolically to be aware of when those dates were passing. And of course, this is the week um, that all those graduation ceremonies were supposed to happen. And so uh, seniors were thinking about you. I hope you're finding ways to celebrate. We're proud of your accomplishments. I know your families are proud of your accomplishments, and we're hoping that we're going to get to celebrate with you in person later on this summer. But congratulations to all our seniors. That's all.
0: Thank you. Uh, Dr. Sinclair, do you have any comments
8: for this evening? I was reiterating Dr. Guy's shout out to all our seniors this this week Good about to all. Mr. Stratton
4: no uh ditto on everything else everyone else is saying thank you
0: thank you uh miss himbrey um no nothing to add thank you and miss borgman
6: sure um just wanted to say i really appreciated the dual statement between the nea and the board on the interest-based bargaining process that's coming up i'm really excited to um take a different approach this year to negotiating and um We all look forward to a much smoother process as well. Um, I also just wanted to make mention in light of some recent national events, um, how much we appreciate the diversity in our district. And I believe that it is a huge strength of Shawnee Mission. And so I just wanted to tell all of our black students, black teachers, black administrators, staff, that we stand with you. Um, And we are proud once again of, of our beautiful diversity. Teacher appreciation last week and school nurse day. We can't thank our our teachers enough, as well as our school nurses. Um, You are just such a crown jewel in this district, and we are so grateful for each and every one of you. And then just to echo the seniors, this was supposed to be a huge week for you. Um, I was excited as a new board member to be on stage with you and to um, clap your clap for you and, and shake your hands, but um, obviously that's not happening and we are still cheering you on and we wish you the very best and hope we will get to celebrate with you in person some way, somehow. So great job, seniors.
0: Thank you. Um, as with everyone else, I wanna give a shout out to our seniors this week. Um, there are not many perks to being on the board, but one of them is definitely seeing the excitement as you guys walk across the stage and collect your diplomas and get launched into the world. So i um, hopeful that we'll be able to participate in an event with you and in any event, your accomplishments still stand and we're still very proud of you. Um, and also for our sixth graders and our eighth graders, um, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that much, but um, as a sixth grade parent and having spoken to a bunch of sixth grade parents, for a lot of folks, this is the last year their kids will be in that elementary building that they've been in for seven years. and leaving that um, place without a formal recognition of it is kind of tough, um, a lot of emotions with that. So sixth graders, were thinking of you too as you launch your adventure into middle school and middle schoolers, you get ready to go into high school. I know there's all this anxiety about not being able to go into the buildings for freshman night or to do the um, middle school prep Olympic day that they have at the buildings so that the kids can go in and see the buildings and do all of that. So I know there's a lot of anxiety for kids with regards to that, and we'll get through it and um, sixth graders and eighth graders, you're appreciated as well. And then one final note from me this evening. Um, the district sent um, our regards to the Overland Park Police Department, who we re our contract with at the last board meeting um, and our condolences on the loss of Officer Mike Mosher. Um, he was the president of the Fraternal Order of Police, and um, we are devastated to learn of his loss. And the district just wants his family and his colleagues to know that we appreciated his service, and uh, our hearts are with you guys. So, on that note, I'm going to seek a motion for us to move into executive session from
8: Dr. Sinclair. But I think you're on mute, Mary. Thank you. I move we go into executive session to discuss personnel issues pursuant to the non-elected personnel exemption under COMA. The board will reconvene at 8.30. Do we need more than 30 minutes?
0: Can we have a 10-minute break in between now and the executive session starting so that
8: we reconvene at 8.40? Okay. Do we—is 30 minutes sufficient?
5: Yes. Yeah.
8: All right. So, we'll reconvene at 8.40. Thank you. Do we have a second? Um, that
0: was a tie. I'll give it to Brad because I can see him. So, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Stratton. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any post? Nothing. Uh, passes unanimously. See you all in 10 minutes in executive session and everyone have a good evening.